Vinyl Intervention podcast listeners, you are in for a treat today. Today is Father's Day and David's family has essentially taken over the podcast studio and we are here to give you listeners a special treat. We hope that this gives you an idea of the wonderful man who leads you in great conversations about music, about music, and about his favorite thing, music. So we've taken over. We've got some questions that we want to ask him. And again, uh, we think this gives listeners just a better idea of the kind of guy David is. So happy Father's Day, David. We have taken over the studio. Uh, He looks like he has been kidnapped and trapped. Uh, He's here with both kids and the wife. We've got the microphone. It could get very dangerous in here, uh, but we are ready to put David on the spot and talk to him about, again, his favorite thing, which is music. And I think that's, uh, I mean, we're top. We're, we're top. We're in there somewhere, right? You guys, we're that right now? Yeah, yes, you think, think yeah, yeah, yeah you think dad so, yeah. loves music more than than us? Yeah, I think yes, so too. I think so. Okay, okay. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. So what? No, you hope so. You hope that he loves music more than us? Or? No, I hope that he loves me more than music. Okay, I, I think he does. Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, yeah. but this is a very close, very close second. All right. So there's God, his family, and music. So let's talk about his third favorite thing. All right. So who's up? Who's up first? Who's going to lead the discussion? I know you guys have some questions. And um, so we're going to let the son, our firstborn, start first. All right, go for it. What is a specific song or album or artist that you believe sparked your love for music? It would be the Beatles. Um, When I was a young kid, we got for Christmas a... um, record player like the family record player and two of the albums we only had about four albums at the time four or five albums at the time and there was the beatles blue album and the beatles red album which are greatest hits packages and we would listen to those all the time and so it was the beatles the beatles and then some beatles um i think the other albums were paul simon's uh still crazy after all these years and the roberta flack uh, Donny Hathaway album, which I still cannot explain why we had. <laughs> um, I guess that kind of answers my question. But I could say that was there one moment where your passion was sparked or was it just gradual liking it more and more? Yeah, no, it was very gradual. Um, we were not really a music listening family for the most part. You know, we'd listen to the radio or we'd watch, you know, music shows on TV. But we, music was not a big, big part of our, our family. Um, and so as I started to get to be a teenager, I started um, ordering and, and buying albums and just kind of grew my collection from there. And that's kind of how it happened. So it really started with the Columbia House, buy 10 albums for a penny kind of yes, thing. And sometimes we got albums that we didn't order and sometimes we kept them and sometimes we didn't. And I, one that sticks out in my mind, we got Jethro Tull's Songs from the Wood, which we would have never at, I think I was probably 11 at the time, maybe even less uh, or younger than that. But um, we ended up keeping that and I still have that album to this day. It's an excellent album, which I would have never um, purchased otherwise. So, Okay, so I'm very familiar with the Columbia House 
uh, setup from back in the day. So you were the type that would get something that you had no idea who the artist was, hadn't heard any of their stuff beforehand, but you would be the one to actually listen to it. Because for the most part, I didn't, and I threw it away. But oh, no. Yeah. So we would, when we did our initial purchase, which we've done many times uh-huh. under different names and <laughs> whatnot, I believe our cat at one point was a Columbia House member, but, you know, we would kind of divide up the the initial 10 uh, albums but what would happen is that we would forget to send in at that time you had to send in the declining the album of the month or whatever it was and if you didn't decline it it got shipped and mm. so sometimes we got shipped things we didn't order and sometimes you can return it i mean you can return it but sometimes we decided to listen to it and if we liked it we kept it so all right who's got the next question go i'll take the next question okay how long have you been collecting records, like on your own? Like I said, I think I was about 11, probably 11 years old, maybe 12 years old when I first started collecting albums. Uh, and again, that was the Columbia House stuff. I don't think I really started going into record stores till I was about 13 or 14 when I used my paper out money to buy albums. So uh, I want to I want to talk about how the kids' listening habits uh, have inspired new conversations about music. You know, our son right over here, uh, both kids are into Nirvana, um, Soundgarden. What are some other CDs that you have? Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins. Um, So a lot of their musical tastes um, are, you know, harken back to what the 90s. And I know that, you know, you have some opinions about that. Uh, I'll share just a quick story about how you have influenced my listening uh, habits. Um, (laughs) This is a long, yeah, it's a long, there's so many tales to tell. But I think the one that sticks out, the one story that sticks out to me was uh, my discovering heart. And I put air bunnies, air quotes over discovering, uh, because I thought that all that time, Heart was like a band from the 90s. They were just another hair band. Uh, so their song, uh, Alone, and All I Want to Do is Make Love to You, like those were the jams. And when we met, I thought that that was just the extent of their musical collection. And uh, it was a moment when you kind of tapped me on the shoulder and you're like, you do realize that that band has been around six, since the 60s and you had to pick up my jaw, my my bottom lip from the floor because I had no idea. Uh, very, that, that was wild and I know that it was uh, almost embarrassing. I would say almost, I think that was completely embarrassing um, because at that point we had gone to two heart con no we'd gone to two concerts later um but you'd introduced me to you know their first album and all of the songs that of course predate their 90s hits uh, so i was very thankful for that and then uh, of course a lot of the r&b that i love and listen to the fact that you can tell me, my my daughter's over here, our daughter's over here yawning, so I'll just wrap this up, thanks. Uh, but yeah, the R&B songs and the rap songs that I listen to, a lot of them sample some of the great songs that you have on vinyl. And so you, you 
have played something on vinyl. And I was like, wait, 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 that's from, you know, name the R&B song. And so I just, that's been very cool. That's been very cool. To- I'll share a little bit of that. One, one of the ones that really sticks out to me is we were listening to the best of the Delphonics. Uh-huh. And I remember there were, I think, three or four songs that you heard on that and and kind of realized at that point that that was not a Missy Elliott song yeah. or that was not a Fuji song <laughs> yeah. or you know or, or notorious so B.I.G. that was yeah. yeah so that was that was one of those events and and so for the listeners out there get the Delphonics greatest hits that's my suggestion um but to answer your other one I yeah I think it's interesting I think our son is a little frustrated because he's been unable to find something that I don't already have or haven't already listened to or a band I've not seen in concert. And it's very important to him, as it was when I was his age, to have my own thing and to be kind of uh, a pioneer of a listener. And so I think it's been a little a bit of a struggle for him when he goes backwards. When, he's got, when he listens to his modern stuff, that's a little bit different. But when he goes backwards, I think he's always wanting to be kind of possessive over his music taste which again is something i went through myself and a lot of listeners probably can identify especially people who listen to college rock or alternative rock in the in the early 80s and some in the early 90s because there was kind of a a belief that you were in a secret club you know the only ones who knew these bands the bands when they first started out you know you started to get a little bit possessive about them and you didn't want the uncool people listening to them and so i think that's part of the struggle that our our son is going through because he really wants to be that pioneer and in some ways he is with the newer music but he's i think a little frustrated that everything he sees or he listens to he now sees in my collection when he looks it up so so it's yeah. kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that you chimed in because I was like, it's kind of weird to be talking about you and you're right here. So would you agree that that's... Yeah. Yeah. So, and ha- having said that, I think his taste in some of the older music is excellent. You know, so he, it's not just a kind of scattershot. I think that he's he's caught on to a lot of really interesting stuff. So. And so I think that both kids kind of take some aspect of your music listening taste. I think DJ definitely appreciates our son definitely appreciates the the later stuff the more modern stuff that you listen to and then our our daughter she's a classic rocker she's a classic rock chick and so i do think that you know when i heard her sing a pat benatar song word for word in uh in the car i did a double take yeah. so i was i don't know was it pat well, benatar i don't or, think so Who's because I don't know Pat the Dark. So, so what? Well, it might have been one of those instances right, well, she's but doesn't know the artist. Let me let me join in here though, so that because we were going to get to Sophia, but um, she was yeah, she was the one who wanted to know who the artist was when we were listening to the radio in the car, which almost always was classic rock, okay. um, or as they as the kids call it now, dad rock. I'm not <laughs> sure, you know, but. Um, it's probably really grandpa rock, I think, at this point. But um, yeah, so Sophia was very uh, into knowing what it was we were listening to. And so I would kind of quiz her every once in a while as to who it was and try and get her a little more actively listening. And I think that when she started to play piano and, uh, and now plays viola, I think that's kind of sparked in her a greater interest in hearing music, not just um, having the radio on, you know. Okay, so who was that classic rock? If it wasn't Pat Benatar, 
you remember who that was? Well, there's a lot of stuff that I do know, and the one specific, what, what's the song? What was the song? I don't know, Hum It, or Sing a well, Few. I don't know which song you're talking you about. about. No, I don't, I, I thought it was, uh, uh, We Are Young, Heartache. Oh, David, would you like to let us know what that song name is? That would be Love is a Battlefield. Love is a Battlefield. By Pat Benatar? Yeah. Oh, okay. Was that the one that you would sing? I did not know that was Pat Benatar. I would sing Led Zeppelin. Oh, okay. A lot. All right. That's it. So what's a Led Zeppelin? Yes. (laughs) What's a Led Zeppelin song that you enjoy? I can't think of one on the spot, but I enjoyed The Police. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. There's another question. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. um, so my next question is, what is an artist that has not written one yet that you wish would write an autobiography? Yeah, that's a good one. And so for Divinal Intervention listeners, as David tries to remember or tries to think of his answer, you must know that he devours autobiographies uh, and biographies uh, about historic uh, figures, uh, politicians, and musicians. That's what you will find David reading. So uh, listeners, we encourage you to send your recommendations uh, if you have any uh, to add. All right. Yeah, that's that's actually a very difficult question because I, I'm always skeptical of, of autobiographies. Um, I think that it's it's very difficult for an artist, whether a musician or, or other artists or, or really anyone, to really know why they did certain things. And sometimes they want to gloss over some of the, the more difficult or controversial parts of themselves, uh, even though that may be a big part of where their art came from. And so it's a little hard to trust it. You know, I mean, Dylan is a perfect example. No one can trust anything he says. You know, when you hear interviews with him or when you read things that he's written, he's sometimes putting you on and, and trying to keep you from realizing exactly who he is because he's very possessive of his privacy. You know, and mm-hmm. so he's someone that no matter what you read of his, you really can't trust it necessarily. And mm-hmm. so I, I have that people who I'd really and I think that's a great question. People who I'd really like to know more about but who I don't really trust them as their own narrative, uh, narrator would be someone like Paul McCartney, who I, I don't know that. I think there's so much image involved with him, and I, I think he's a fantastic artist. I, I'm glad that he's still producing music and, and producing high-level music. But from a personal perspective, I don't know that he would be willing to put himself out there the way that, that you would want to really understand him better. And I think I would put Sting in that as well. I would love to read something about Sting, but I would like to read it about people who are close to him, who are willing to kind of tell about the creative process, about what it was that spurred certain things on. I, I, I find him to be a fascinating artist, both as a musician and a, a songwriter. But I just, you know, when you, when you read about him and you read interviews with him, it's hard to trust that you're getting the real person behind the art. And so I, I, I would love to, to read a great biography of Sting, but I don't know about an autobiography. Speaking of, sorry, yeah, speaking ahead. of people behind the art, something I have learned from you is that some rock artists can be feisty. What do you think sparks the anger or the attitude in some rock legends? 
Um, I think being uh, outsiders, being outcasts, because I think that, especially when you talk about classic rock, you had a, a bunch of kids who spent inordinate amount of times in their own basements um, practicing, you know, and, and working on, you know, pouring their energies into music um, because they hadn't, they weren't accepted in the, you know, sports field or, or whatever, you know, the cool kids were doing. And so they kind of rebelled by kind of going inside themselves and, and practicing and, and um, trying to learn a craft. And I think that that's, I think that's where the frustration sometimes comes from. I think that's probably why they have a really difficult time when they become famous dealing with their fame because they were the rejects. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, people are singing their songs and coming to their shows and, and elevating them to a level that they're not prepared to be at. And I think that that sometimes is a very difficult thing for them. Um, and I think rock and roll especially, and heavy metal to a, a greater extent, is really a, a like a young man's outlet for all the pent-up energy and aggression that young men have you know so teenage boys and young men i think gravitate towards rock and, and heavy metal as an outlet for all that angst that they have and and all the uh, you know uh growing pressures that they're facing as 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 a, a boy or a young man mm -hmm. and i think that it helps them turn the noise off they, they they create the noise around them to avoid the noise that's in their head okay all right, so we've talked about uh, your love for other musicians. And I was just, I, I, before I get to this question, uh, I did want to go back. Uh, so McCartney, has he not written something about himself? Uh, there was an article that says he's due to publish a 900-page lyrical autobiography. You heard anything about that? I, I haven't, mm -hmm. and I, I'm not quite sure what that would mean as far as literal... Uh, I'm sorry, um, lyrical. lyrical. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if he's trying to explain his songwriting, uh, which he loves to do, which and, and is fascinating. I mean, when we watch the good uh, the Get Back documentary, okay. yeah. you start to see a little behind the scenes and how he creates and how the rest of the band created. And so I think he's always been pretty open about showing how his creative process goes. But I don't know that that tells you where that creative juice comes from. Okay. So back to what you said originally and a little bit of what you just said about Paul McCartney. So your love for music, what do you think kept it alive? And then we know that you later became a musician yourself. So what do you think is responsible? Was it the fact that you were an outsider? Was it what do you think is is behind that? Well, that was a big part of the listening and the connecting um, was seeing in, you know, whether it's the lyrics or just the style of the music, uh, understanding where they probably were coming from in creating it. And so, yeah, I spent a lot of time in my room, which was in the basement. Mm -hmm. And so I was in kind of my, my dungeon mm -hmm. where it was just me listening to music, whether I had headphones on or not. And so it was a way to isolate and and just not have so much going on and sometimes in my head or sometimes in our house uh, as you know you know we, we had a relatively small house and and you know six people in it and so to have a little space available to myself you know headspace as well as just physical space uh, i spent a lot of time listening and, and i think that that's where the collecting came from i started to kind of create um like spider webs of artists and producers and, and musical styles where 
if I bought an album and I saw, you know, a particular bass player, then the next time I was in the record store, if I saw that bass player's name, I probably would buy that album because I kind of had a feeling that if I liked what they were doing in one place, I would like whatever, what they were doing in other places. So I, I would buy a lot of records that I had never heard from artists I'd never heard of because I recognized either one of the musicians or the producer or the record company sometimes because I knew certain record companies were doing interesting stuff like for just for example IRS records um, you know in the 80s IRS records was was taking some chances that I found very interesting so if I saw you know if I was inclined to maybe buy something and I saw it was on, on IRS records I, I probably would buy it mm -hmm. you know and so I started to kind of create those connections um, and that's really where the exponential growth of my my collection came from i just started to see connections and i started to see um different threads going through even different kinds of music with some of the same producers and artists and things like that you know and so when you have george martin producing you know a band like america you're like wait a minute you went from the beatles to america you know and so then you started when you listen to america you would listen to the production more because you that's why you listened to it because you knew george martin didn't miss Right. So George Martin was going to be a part of that. And I think Todd Rundgren is another good example. And I've talked on different episodes about Todd Rundgren's production and how he seems to be able to draw out of different artists things that they didn't have in their um, in their toolbox before he got involved, you know, and how they would use it in subsequent records, even though he wasn't the producer. And so I just you know, that's kind of how my collection grew. Um, ironically enough, I think as I listened to more music, I stopped playing music myself. I stopped performing for the most part because I felt like I couldn't get to the level that I wanted for myself. I don't think I was able to be as accomplished of a musician as I wanted to be to be in with those folks. You know, I just saw so much talent level that I knew I wasn't going to be able to get to unless I put in a lot more work. And frankly, I didn't have or didn't want to give the time. Um, to do that. I, so I, I listened more than I played. So how did your band affect your point of view of rock artists? Well, it was just fun to be able to play some of the stuff that I heard. You know, I, I you probably don't, this may come as a surprise to everybody, but I was not, um, you don't know all the bands that I've been in, but um, I think the first time I was in what I would consider a rock band was was in high school. And um, we were, you know, as I look back on it, really on the cutting edge of a lot of different kinds of music. We The, the bands that we played are bands that even now aren't that well known. And if they are well known, they, they're not particularly well regarded or as as celebrated as I think they should be. So that band was really an eye opener for me in, in, in a lot of different kinds of rock and, and alternative music. And by playing it, you realize the craftsmanship. And I think that's, again, getting back to what I had just said, as I started to see the, the level of craftsmanship in music, even by bands that um, by most accounts were not great musicians, I knew that I couldn't play as well as they could. And that kind of reduced my interest in learning to play. Mm. So would you say intimidation or? Um, not so much intimidation, but I realized that I didn't want to, I didn't think I had the amount of effort and time that I would need to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And again, going back to what we were talking about very early on about these guys that are spending all their time in their basement, you know, all you had to do was look at some of the, the, the pictures of these rock bands from the, 
early 70s, especially like progressive rock, and see these guys who were so phenomenally talented, but you could just see that they had spent almost no time out in the world, you know? And, and I think that's what it took to be, in my mind, that's what it would take to be a musician that was worth celebrating. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have that kind of time nor that, that kind of desire to play it, but I had that desire to hear it. Okay, so breaking news, um, how many bands have you been in? Have you been a part of? I guess probably six. Really? Not all rock bands, but yeah. Okay, can you name them? I can't. Okay, so we know of Gravamen. <laughs> well, the Gravamen was the surf band, uh -huh. um, and that was really late. And, and again, that's a perfect example of what I'm saying. I, surf music, the bass parts were very, very simple. So I, I was able to learn how to play bass purely by ear in very simple, a very simple style of music to play bass in. And so I, I had tremendous respect for the people who, who play surf music, um, and especially the guitarists. But as far as the bass players go, there wasn't much, uh, much there. So I was able to, to do that. If I, and, and again, it kind of frustrated me that if I really wanted to be a decent bass player, which I've always followed bass players as a listener, uh, that I had a whole lot more work to do, and I, I just wasn't prepared to do it. So, so I will say this, and because I think uh, Deej has a question for you, but I really do appreciate your ear for music, uh, and I think I'm giving away the type of music that I listen to. But it's just funny that when I, when you hear me listen to music around the house. Nile Rodgers, Nile Rodgers, Nile Rodgers. You tell me all the time, oh, that's the Nile Rodgers sound. Or you can tell me who did the, the guitar riff in a song uh, that I like. Um, so definitely do appreciate your ear for the, the style of, of music and the people who are behind the scenes, not just the, not just the, uh, the band. All right, Deej, what's your question? Um, my next question is, what is your most controversial, un unpopular opinion that you know that you might not share with other people? Kind of the opinion you don't share a lot. I'm, I'm trying That's to understand what you mean as far as opinion. You mean a a, a band that I like that I'm yeah, ashamed well, of, or what? It, or what maybe it you know, like well, like a band that you don't like that everyone else likes, mm -hmm. or oh, there's lots of those. Yeah, because um, I can't understand <laughs> Bob Dylan. I just, I have a, I, I understand the musicianship. I, he's a great songwriter, but you know, yeah, again, and, and his, that's what you've got to get past. Sings, you, you've got to get past his voice. I mean, his yeah. voice is, is an acquired taste and I, I don't know many people who would seek out that voice. Um, but you can't, it's hard to deny his, his lyrics. I mean, he, he's an extraordinary songwriter, but also he's got an interesting, and again, for a guy who's been as prolific as he has, he's got so many albums, and yet he still comes up with, with different riffs. He still comes up with different um, melodies. And so he's not just a lyricist. He's also got some very interesting melodies, even after all these years. And so, you know, again, Dylan's a, a good example of just an acquired taste. But I, I've got a lot of artists who are not your traditionally good singers, um, who I'm, I'm a big fan of. I think it's the struggle. Yeah, I, sometimes it makes the music more authentic to me if it's being sung by somebody who's not that good mm. at singing. Mm -hmm. You know, so Tom Waits is an example. Tom Waits is uh, kind of different, though, because he, he does kind of put on a facade 
or he puts on a voice. Um, but even when he's he's trying to to hit the notes the way you would expect him to, he still struggles a bit sometimes. And I think that adds something to the, the music. You know, uh, Neil Young's another example. Neil Young's got a voice that you really need to appreciate or not, and some people aren't prepared to appreciate it. And uh, and I think sometimes it, he's, I like listening to him because he'll miss a note, uh, you know, because it just, it's just a guy trying to sing a song. And so I think there's some value to that. And so, you know, I, I, yeah, so I mean, I guess controversial opinions, I mean, those are huge artists, so it's not really controversial to say that you, you like Dylan or you like Neil Young. Um, but there are a lot of things that aren't easy on the ears that I like mm. um, because someone's trying something different. Like and German industrial music? Like German industrial okay. music, yeah. for example. Because, again, it's not, you know, someone playing with a jackhammer and, and steel um, is not pleasant to listen to, but they're trying to do something. They're trying something, you know, and it's not, it shouldn't really be a surprise that some of those bands ultimately become a little bit more mainstream and they actually put out some really interesting music, you know, so they're starting out as kind of noise rock, but then they start to understand melody a little bit better. And then they've got something to, to uh, add to the conversation. So I, I appreciate the misses as well as the hits. Yeah. You know? Cause I got to say, when you played that, uh, when you played for me the German industrial albums when we were dating, I second-guessed our ability to coexist with one another. And, and yeah. I understand, and I appreciate your willingness to overlook that. Yeah, and I'm sure you felt the same way about, uh, who is it from my uh, collection? Well, there, we've got a love-hate relationship with each other's uh, yeah, record absolutely. collections, that's for sure. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I, I don't have, you know, to clue our listeners in, I, I don't have a great deal of appreciation for New Jack. Uh, and, yeah. So, you know, 90s R&B is way out of my um, go-to place uh, for, for music. Um, and so that seems to be a lot of your collection. Yes. And so I don't know that we're going to be able to bridge that. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's I, okay. I that's, that's the thing. I mean, it, it, that's the beauty of music to me is that everyone's going to have different flavors, you know, and, and different tastes. And some of those tastes aren't going to make any sense. I mean, that, now I'm telling on myself, some of the earliest albums that I bought were Barry Manilow albums, mm -hmm. you know. So my that was, that was, those were early in my collection. I tried to collect all the Barry Manilow albums, and it very quickly became clear to me that that wasn't the direction I was ultimately going to go. And so I gave those away and started buying Yes albums and mm -hmm. Head East albums and Boston albums. Uh, instead, and that's really when it when it kind of got supercharged. So, so again, I, I can appreciate that there are there are kinds of music or artists that other people like that I just don't. Doesn't make you know it's again it's a matter of taste because uh, you know your taste can grow, your taste can mutate, and that's that's okay. That's why that's why there's so much music out there so that you can kind of choose what works for you. So your listeners won't be upset when they find out that you've been to. Uh... You've had to suffer through a Lisa Lisa concert with me because you're such an awesome husband. So a Lisa Lisa concert, uh, a Mariah Carey Mariah concert. That was Indeed. that was a big one. The that Mariah was a big step. Yeah, that, that, that was that was. And, and look, and you know this, but I, I have a great deal of appreciation for her talent. But it's just not my kind of music. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's just not something I would spend a lot of time listening to. But that doesn't mean I don't think she's good. Yeah. It's just not my style. But the um, 
you know, I did see Todd Rundgren. You did? And, Joe Jackson? And, which um, was a, a good one. Yeah, and uh, who else? Uh, we did see The Police Now. I really like that. And yeah. the opening act for them was Maroon 5. <laughs> a small band called yeah, Maroon 5. Yeah, a small band at the yeah. time called Maroon 5. And DJ, so that you know, that was our first date night after you were born. That was our first night out was the... Police wasn't it their farewell? Yeah, the, the, the police. <laughs> yeah, the police reformed for for a tour, yeah. and and that was yeah, uh, in Miami. Miami. Yeah, we saw it in Miami in the stadium, and uh, yeah, Maroon Five and the police, and it was it was great to see. You know, unfortunately, you know that that's another long thread that uh, was going to be an episode at one point, and probably will be an episode, and that is you know when you see your favorite bands live, mm. and sometimes you see them at the very peak of their their powers, you know, their strengths and the albums that you really, really like. And they're, they're touring on that album. So they're featuring that album on their tour. Uh, and then there are other bands that you see when they're, they're just not where you want them. You know, it's their worst album or, or just the one you didn't really care for the most. Um, the police, it was a little different because they had broken up, you know, and so it was just great to see them at all. But I would have loved to have seen them uh, probably between their second and third albums. If, if I would have seen them be between Regatta de Blanc and Zenyatta Mondada, that would have been a great time to see them. Cool. All right, so we've got one more question per kid. So uh, um, what are your feelings on on rock, classic rock songs being introduced into the TV and mu- movie industry? And would you like to see more of that? Well, that's a, that's a timely question, isn't it? Uh, we, we around the house here have been talking about Kate Bush quite a bit. And... I'm I'm kind of back and forth on that. I I think I ha- I don't enjoy hearing some of my favorite bands used for commercials. You know, so uh, it, it's always it always makes me uncomfortable when I hear a, a, a commercial for a product that has a, a song or an artist that I really like. Um, and I don't know why that is. I I mean I I know why I think that is, and that is that I just don't like it being used for crash crass commercialism like that. But um, I also understand that everybody's got to eat. And if that's, you know, a way for a band or an artist to, to get a little extra cash, I think that's okay. I just, it makes me cringe a little bit. Um, for them to be used in movies or TV shows, I it doesn't have that same reaction for me. Um, I like to hear it. I really like to hear it if it actually fits what they're trying to do narratively in the movie or in the TV show. That, then it's really kind of cool. Because you you see somebody who put thought into introducing that artist at a time in their movie that would have impact for everybody because it's just a cool song or whatever. But for those who know that song or know the band's history or know the lyrics that aren't necessarily played on screen at the time, there's an extra level of appreciation. So that that's kind of cool. I mean, some songs are created for the movie like bigger bigger bands and people such as Phil Collins how does that compare to smaller bands I guess we're talking about Tarzan <laughs> indeed okay <laughs> so for our listeners uh Sophia is a big fan of Phil Collins work on the Tarzan soundtrack which um I always like to hear Phil Collins I I really enjoy Genesis um more than him as a as a solo artist but it's still great to to hear him and I'm always pulling for people who are uh, artists that I can appreciate. So um, when they do it, I, when, when artists create a song for a movie or for a TV show, uh, 
I tend not to be as much of a fan because it's not their authentic creation necessarily. They've been given um, kind of a, a box and, and they're supposed to write a song that's in that box. And and so I, I'm much more inclined to support when you use an existing work um, that fits your movie or TV show, whether it fits it thematically or just moody, uh, you know, for the mood of the film or whatever. But when you say to Phil Collins, we're doing this this movie about uh, Tarzan and I need you to, to write me a song that's going to fit into that, then in some ways you've directed his creative process and limited it. And I, I don't know that I like that as much. All right, my friend. Good answer. Thank you. You have the last question. Yeah, I do. Actually, we're going to play a lightning round um, and put dad on the spot uh, after your question. But I think your question is a is a pretty loaded one. It's a good one. Um, what is a fond memory that you have that involves music in any context? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's thousands upon thousands of them. How about this? Since it's Father's Ooh. Day, is there something? Is there a particular um, song? Was it music or musician that maybe makes you think of your fatherhood journey? Oh, I don't know. I, I, I guess let me answer that question in a couple of ways. I, the, certain memories are tied to music. You know, so for example, when I hear or when I put on uh, U2's Under a Blood Red Sky album, it always takes me back to when I used to listen to it almost hourly in my basement. So, you know, that was a that was it wasn't a tremendous album. It still, you know, doesn't stack up in their collection as much. But when I hear it, I, I listen to it so much that when I hear it, I can't not be transported back. <laughs> uh, touches that's a sweet memory. I don't think of it specific to Father's Day, but Harry Chapin's um, song "Cats in the Cradle" is is always one that makes you think of fatherhood and and what fatherhood <laughs> should not be and sometimes is. Um, but interestingly enough, Creedence Clearwater Revival did one called Someday Never Comes that is a very similar theme mm -hmm. and yet is kind of unknown. You know, unless you're a really deep appreciator of, of their music, you probably have never heard it. So for our listeners who've not heard it, you should listen to it. Mm -hmm. So What is it called again? Someday Never Comes. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it's it's similar to Cats in the Cradle, which was a huge yeah, song yeah. in the mid-70s when I was a kid. Um, couldn't escape it. So, all right. So now we've got to put you on the spot with what's the song when you think about the firstborn? Me. Yeah, <laughs> that would be you. Um, you, you know, interestingly enough, uh, "Kooks" by David Bowie. Because when when you were pregnant with DJ, we did a we made a disc. You know, we we did a collection of music, kind of to prepare for it which was, it was for us, it was for him, it was just kind of in general. So, yeah, Kooks is the one that sticks out. I, that disc had a lot of songs on it, but that's the one I, I always remember. And I always remember um, when DJ had trouble sleeping, it was always Let It Be. Or Sophia. I think I know this one. Sophia. We did not do a separate disc for Sophia. Sorry about that. You're I'm forgiven. <laughs> um, gosh, a song that really sticks out for Sophia. You know, I know what this one is. 
Well, for for me, I think it's Yellow Submarine. That's oh, there, yeah. yeah. I, how could I forget? Yeah. yeah, no, we we sang Yellow Submarine. I sang Yellow Submarine to Sophia every bath time. Yeah, and so that was it. And occasionally threw in an Octopus's Garden. Oh yes, you but it was yeah. So it's primarily Yellow Submarine or Octopus's Garden. So yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. But um, yeah, that's the song most associated with Sophia. Yeah, sweet sweet memories. Thank you. <laughs> Sweet memories. Alrighty. So, I, I know it comes as a surprise that Beatles songs are a big part of this. Yeah, so. yeah, recurring theme, the Beatles. Really? Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, great questions. Great questions, guys. All right. So, um, babe, here's a lightning round. So you have, I've got 10 questions and you have only five seconds to answer each question. So it's think fast. It's a lightning round. And that's how we'll close. Okay. I don't know that I'm going to agree to this, but we'll try. All right. So with this special Father's Day edition of Divinal Intervention. And by the way, thank you for uh, letting us hijack the studio. Um, Yeah. So do you say one quick thing to your dad just about Father's Day? Make it fast. Um, I'm put on the spot. (laughs) Um, Thank you for being a great father. I really appreciate yes. it. That's good. <laughs> I agree. I was on the spot. Okay. All right. What makes him a great father? Tell his know. listeners what makes your dad a great father. Um, the fact that he's always there um, to, you know, just listen in. And no matter what you have or what you need, he's always there to find any way that he can help you reach your goal. And he always gives advice and um, facts that you didn't think you knew, you needed to know, and you thought were useless, and you put it in a, like a little bin in your mind, and then five years later, you're like, oh, I know this. Look at me go. And, you know, that's... Prepares you for trivia night. Yes. Yes. <laughs> random, random knowledge. So he's preparing you for life and for trivia night. Yes. Absolutely. All right, Sophia, quickly. Well, he's kind of took mine, but I think, yes, there is a lot to learn from him, a lot of stories, but I think, um, his humor has been passed down to me. And I think that's one special thing we share is our humor and our humor. Yes. So, uh, so I will just uh, add to that, you know, you guys, uh, again, we want his listeners to know what a great dad he is. And he is, indeed, he is a great dad. And when you have two teenagers who can say after all of this time that their dad is still uh, one of the most influential voices in their lives, it's a big thing. And um, just as his wife, I know how awesome he is because I have good taste and uh, I trapped him into this life uh, and tied him down with two kids and look at how it worked out. So good on us, you know. Um, So thank you, David, for just being a a wealth of, of knowledge, just being a wealth of patience and love. And we thank you for just loving us and taking such good care of our family. We love you. We love you. You're you're welcome. (laughs) All right. Now let's go to the lightning round. Here we go. Five seconds, 10 questions. All right. All right. 
let's put the time on the clock and go. Number one, best live performance. Gang of four. Number two, best singer. Mariah Carey. Number three, <laughs> best concert experience. Gang of four. Number four, most famous musician you've met. Steven Tyler. Number five, best instrument in any band. Fretless bass. Number six, most important band instrument. Guitar. Number seven, a band that should still be making music. The Gravelman. Number eight, <laughs> number eight, worst band breakup. Oh boy, I'm stumped. Right. Um, for various reasons, Almond Brothers. Oh, okay. Number nine, the album you could listen to every day for the rest of your life. Abbey Road. Number 10, the musician or band you miss the most. The police. The police. There you have it, folks. This was the Father's Day takeover, the vital intervention. Yay. All right. Um, you want to give shout outs? There are a couple of uh, cities or, or regions where you're just getting a lot of listeners. <laughs> yeah, all, all my listeners in Germany. You know, I, I, given how I mapped it out, I, I suspect you guys are, uh, or gals, guys, uh, are on the Air Force Base, the U.S. Air Force Base in, in Germany, but perhaps not. Um, mm-hmm. But we definitely have some... Uh, Steady listeners in Germany, which is fantastic. Um, occasionally get a ping from Australia um, and all over the States, you know, a little bit of Canada. Um, so we definitely appreciate, um, you know, all everybody who, who tunes in and, and gives more than one episode a chance because some episodes are better than others, as we all know. Um, and so, yeah, we're just, we're just thankful to continue to put out product. And, uh, if you've got something that you want to hear or talk about, definitely reach out to us. All right. And you can find the vital intervention on where you listen to your podcast. Thank you, Sophia. (laughs) No problem. That's her product placement. All right, y'all have a good one. We'll see you next time at divinal intervention, the podcast. Mm -hmm.